Good morning, Alex and friends. I'm Grace. Today is Thursday, February 22nd, 2024, and you're listening to Alex's News. Warm and mild, today Riverside is embracing a pleasant high of 66.4 degrees with a low later dipping to 50.1, setting the scene for a tranquil day ahead. Now, turning to the news desk, we'll delve into the details of President Biden's SAVE plan, a bold stride aimed at accelerating student loan forgiveness, promising to relieve the burden on millions of Americans and shaping the future of higher education finance. In a heartfelt courtroom address, a widower from Michigan stands before the bench, his grief transformed into a clarion call for safer staffing levels in hospitals. We'll explore his quest for policy change that is gathering attention and momentum across the state. And from beneath the waves of the Baltic Sea, an extraordinary discovery has emerged, a Stone Age megastructure that's rewriting our understanding of ancient engineering. Stay tuned for an analysis on what this means for archaeology and our conception of early human ingenuity. This, along with our regular segments, weather, and more, will unfold in today's edition of Alex's News. Stay with us. Today's top story focuses on the major stride taken in the realm of student loan forgiveness. We've received updates indicating that nearly 153,000 borrowers are slated to get email notifications about their pending debt cancellation, with a grand total of around $1.2 billion being wiped clean. To give us a deeper dive into this developing situation, we're joined by our very own Ethan. Ethan, can you give us a sense of what exactly the Biden administration has put into motion here? Certainly, Grace. This is part of President Joe Biden's broader campaign promise to tackle the increasingly burdensome student loan debt crisis. The administration has introduced the SAVE plan, which translates to saving on a valuable education. This is an income-driven repayment option that's specifically designed to provide a faster track to loan forgiveness for those with smaller initial balances. Think about borrowers who've attended community colleges or have taken out slighter loans, they stand to benefit from this initiative. Interesting, so it seems highly targeted. What do you think are the key factors driving this decision to focus on these particular groups of borrowers? Grace, the administration seems to be honing in on societal equity and the financial hurdles particular groups face. By zeroing in on borrowers from community colleges and those with lesser debts, the plan acknowledges that these individuals often struggle disproportionately when it comes to education financing. And with sources like CNN Politics and Forbes noting that the broader goal here is to deliver relief to those grappling with student debt, this step aligns with such overarching objectives. With Biden's save plan in the spotlight, what sort of speculation is there about its potential long-term implications or consequences, especially for the economy? That's a pivotal question, Grace. The potential uptick is considerable economic stimulus, advancement in racial and socioeconomic equality, and much-needed alleviation for those saddled with enormous debts. But, these are set against worries over moral hazard, the idea that people might take greater risks knowing they won't have to bear the full cost, inflationary concerns, the financial weight on taxpayers, and the possible effects on the cost and quality of education. Getting the balance right in the structural design of these forgiveness programs is paramount for their success. Alongside those points, Ethan, are there other peculiarities or related factors we should be keeping in mind when looking at this policy? Absolutely, Grace. We must consider that while the prospect of debt forgiveness is promising, there are inherent risks too. The potential for fraud is a serious concern. Furthermore, the effect on inflation and interest rates, the substantial cost implications, 
the likelihood of subsequent rises in educational expenses, and the uneven distribution of benefits all represent significant hurdles. Implementation and administrative challenges can't be overlooked as well. All these factors necessitate prudent planning, targeted approaches, and ongoing assessments to ensure these measures do more good than harm. Certainly sounds like a complex issue with a lot to unpack. Thank you so much for that thorough analysis, Ethan. Glad to contribute, Grace. Stay with us for story two of three, right after this break. And now, we turn to an important story developing in Michigan that touches on a pressing healthcare issue. Our reporter Chloe has been following this closely. Chloe, can you tell us what's going on? Absolutely, Grace. This is about Tim Lillard, a Michigan resident who's become an advocate for mandatory hospital staffing rules after his wife passed away last year. Lillard, alongside nurses' unions, are fighting to see changes made in how hospitals staff their wards. This conversation is gaining traction, especially considering NPR's coverage on the topic. So, Chloe, what exactly is behind Tim Lillard's advocacy for these rules? Grace, Lillard firmly believes that his wife's death could have been prevented had there been better nurse staffing. He's highlighting a wider problem which is the nurse staffing crisis in our country. Supporters are calling for mandatory ratios, a cap on the number of patients a single nurse can be responsible for at any one time, which they argue would improve patient care and nurse well-being. The idea of mandatory ratios isn't entirely new, right? How are states currently handling this issue? That's right. Currently, federal law doesn't mandate staffing ratios, but some states have taken their own steps. California has been a leader in this area with legally mandated ratios for all hospital units. Massachusetts has specific rules for ICU staffing, mandating a 11 ratio but allowing for some flexibility. Other states opt for public reporting systems or staffing committees to enhance accountability and address nurse shortages. Are there any significant concerns about implementing these mandatory staffing ratios? Indeed, there are. Critics point out potential drawbacks like increased healthcare costs, a possible reduction in staffing flexibility, and a lack of long-term data on whether these ratios truly impact patient outcomes or are cost-effective. The conversation really revolves around finding a suitable balance between patient safety, nurse welfare, and the financial realities of running a hospital. With these challenges in mind, are there any alternative proposals to mandated staffing ratios? Absolutely, alternatives exist and are being explored. For instance, the American Nurses Association endorses a variety of flexible staffing methods. These include using professional judgment, acuity-based models, time-task approaches, and more. These strategies aim for an optimized nurse staffing level attending to both high-quality patient care and nurse satisfaction, without the rigidity of government-imposed ratios. So, What do we expect to happen next in Michigan and potentially in other states considering these options? The debate is ongoing, and those in favor of mandated ratios are clear about their goals for patient outcomes and nurse working conditions. Yet, others advocate for more flexibility and point towards different models. The outcomes in Michigan may well influence other states as they watch how this push for change unfolds and whether it proves successful for both patients and healthcare professionals. Fascinating insights. Thanks for bringing us that story, Chloe. We'll certainly keep an eye on how this develops. Here are some other headlines. President Joe Biden has escalated his rhetoric against Russian President Vladimir Putin during a campaign fundraiser in San Francisco, referring to him as a crazy sob. Amid discussions on the existential threat of climate change, 
Biden warned of the dangers of nuclear conflict with leaders like Putin. He sharply criticized Donald Trump for equating his legal troubles with the situation of Alexei Navalny, the deceased Russian opposition leader, calling the comparison astounding. The president also suggested that in previous times, such comments by Trump could have led to commitment. Expressing concern over Navalny's death, Biden blamed the Russian government for the activists' demise and announced a suite of severe new sanctions against Russia. The president disclosed that many international leaders are privately seeking reassurance from him regarding Trump's potential re-election. Biden's address highlighted his disdain for the moral direction of the MAGA Republican group, a stance indicative of a fervent campaign season ahead. In financial news, Former President Donald Trump may face asset seizure by New York Attorney General Letitia James if he fails to pay a $355 million civil fraud penalty. Trump and his companies have been convicted of fabricating financial statements for fraudulent purposes, and Trump has signaled his intention to appeal the ruling. The civil fraud penalties and prejudgment interest are accruing, while an additional $83.3 million is owed in a defamation case brought by journalist E. Jean Carroll. James continues to express confidence in her case against Trump, who denies all allegations. Shifting gears, the Alabama Supreme Court's decision to recognize frozen embryos as children has sent ripples through the IVF community and reproductive rights discussions. This landmark ruling could profoundly impact IVF practices in Alabama and potentially set a precedent for other states in the broader national debate on reproductive rights. In an international context, the unauthorized leak of a Chinese hacking entity's data has shed light on the breadth of China's state surveillance, as well as their tactics targeting dissidents, monitoring social media, and engaging in international espionage. Back home, Former President Donald Trump's 2024 election campaign is reportedly experiencing financial strains, with high spending over election fundraising, notably due to steep legal fees. This development raises questions about the campaign's sustainability and Trump's continued viability as a competitive candidate. And lastly, in an age when AI is playing a growing role in journalism, concerns arise over gatekeeping and authenticity. While AI gives rise to cost-effective news generation, questions of emotional depth and creativity remain. Major news outlets wrestle with AI's growing influence and its implications on the future of journalism. That's a quick roundup of recent headlines. Stay with us after the break as we dive into deeper coverage of today's top stories. Now on to our third story of the morning we're diving deep into a fascinating archaeological discovery that's causing quite a stir. Researchers scanning the seafloor off the coast of Germany have uncovered what can only be described as a prehistoric marvel. To talk us through this extraordinary find we have our specialist correspondent Ethan with us. Ethan, can you tell us more about this so-called blinker wall? Certainly, Grace. The blinker wall is an ancient structure that lies submerged in the Baltic Sea. It was discovered back in 2021, and scholars are calling it a megastructure from the Stone Age. What's remarkable is its extent. It stretches for 1.5 miles and is made up of around 1,400 small stones connecting 300 large boulders, which, by the way, weigh up to a colossal 142 tons each. Those numbers are quite astounding, Ethan. Now, do we know how old this megastructure is? We do, 
and it's mind-blowing the research published in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences dates the blinker wall to be over 10,000 years old. To put that into perspective, it's older than the Carnic stones in France or even England's Stonehenge. Older than Stonehenge? That's incredible. But what was the purpose of the blinker wall? Surely such an endeavor must have been for an important reason. That's one of the big questions here. Researchers speculate that it may have been used as a sort of driving lane for reindeer hunters. It shows that the architectural capabilities and social organization of ancient Europeans, especially in hunting strategies, were way more advanced than we previously thought. A driving lane for reindeer hunting, the ingenuity of our ancestors never ceases to amaze. Ethan, what about the construction itself? Any idea how the people back then managed to build something like this? That's a puzzle archaeologists are trying to piece together, Grace. The sheer size of the boulders involved suggests a high level of organization and perhaps a communal effort in construction. This means that the social dynamics of the time were likely complex and sophisticated. Now, there's mention of a second wall that is even older buried beneath the seafloor. What can you tell us about that? Yes, there's evidence suggesting the presence of an even more ancient structure lying below the known wall. If confirmed, it would be a game-changer for archaeology. It could significantly push back the timeline we have for human development and lead to new insights into prehistoric life. The implications are staggering. How might this impact our current understanding of human history? If verified, the existence of a second, older wall would reshape our understanding of Stone Age megastructures and how early European societies functioned. It could also shed light on ancient hunting practices, social structures, and even environmental changes in the Baltic Sea Basin over time. It emphasizes how much there could still be to discover within our oceans and how these finds could potentially connect ancient societies. With these potential revelations, what should be our approach to preserving these underwater sites? That's another significant aspect, Grace. This find stresses the importance of protecting submerged archaeological sites. There will need to be a concerted effort to secure these relics from the ravages of time and the elements, as well as from human interference. Such discoveries illustrate how much history lies hidden beneath our seas. Thank you for that in-depth analysis, Ethan. Anytime, Grace. It's always a pleasure to unravel the mysteries of our past. That's all we have for now. Today's episode was made by Alexander King with GPT-4 Turbo. GPT 3.5 Turbo, the Perplexity API, and the Google Cloud Text-to-Speech API. I hope you have a great day. I'll see you tomorrow, Alex.